1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart.
2: Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado.
2: Hey everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes, and I've got a new podcast The NFL Road Show
3: Jalen Hurts scores 41 points. Tony Pollard stars while filling in for Zeke. And Calvin Ridley lost his sixth wide receiver one week of the season. We're talking all that and more on Roto Viz Radio. What's up,
0: Roto Viz?
3: Welcome back to RotoViz Radio, brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at RotoViz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman Matthew. We are headed into the final week of the NFL season. It's hard to believe that we made it here. We've gone through the full season how different of a season is this going to be for you when you look back on it, or you think this is going to end up actually just kind of falling into, you know, every other season in your memory bank?
1: Uh, it's definitely going to be one that I remember, uh, you know, like, 2018, I remember because of Mahomes. 2019, I remember because of Lamar Jackson and then Mahomes winning the Super Bowl. 2020 will definitely be the COVID season. Or let me rephrase I hope it's the COVID season because, like, if it's not the COVID season, then that means that we have, like, two or three more COVID seasons after this where they all just start to blend together. But I think this is going to be the COVID season and uh, hopefully moving forward, we have something approaching normalcy. Um, but yeah, week 16, you know, final week for uh, a lot of fantasy leagues and then week 17 uh, just total chaos because you have some teams that actually have meaningful games and some teams that are really just, uh, you know, resting their players and evaluating bench players to see uh, if those guys have a chance to make the team in the future. So Week 17 should feel pretty normal, uh, relatively speaking, like normal – in comparison to other week 17s uh, but week 16 uh, definitely feels a little bit different I think the most weeks of uh, week 16s just because you still have uh, kind of COVID situations and uh, it's just it's been a really interesting season for sure um, so we appreciate everybody that has made it to this point with
3: us through all of these weeks listening to the podcast um, I wanted to take a minute to not only thank you for listening but also say, there's two things that I want to ask people that listen to this show to do. One to be, send us, so either send me a tweet or email rotovizradio at com, and let me know if there was one thing that you're going to be leaving this season the most frustrated about. What is that one thing? So maybe you had a really bad beat, you made a really bad managerial decision, you dropped somebody that you wish that you hadn't. What is, perhaps we can say it like this, your biggest regret from the season And I'm already expecting some snarky pieces to come in from people about listening to some advice that we gave. That is the first thing. The other thing is I'd like to have on a guest do one episode where Matt and I bring on a guest that we will kind of recap the season with. Let us know who you want that to be. Give us anybody in the uh, fantasy industry that you'd be interested in in us breaking down and overviewing what went on in 2020. Uh, Let us know who that is. Also, final housekeeping item, as always, it's Monday night. Cincinnati and the and the Steelers will be playing. Obviously, we do not know what happened there yet. All right, Matt, let's run through the injuries. Clyde Edwards, helaire suffers an ankle sprain and a hip injury. It looks like he could be up for the rest of the regular season. When I saw this happen in the game, I was worried it could be a longer absence than that for the rookie. Uh, fortunately, it looks like it's not gonna be anything too serious. Question becomes for people that have Le'Veon Bell, how good should they feel about starting him in their finals matchup, assuming that he's going to get the overwhelming majority of backfield work
1: for Kansas City? Yeah, I don't I don't know if we can actually make that assumption. Like we would hope that he would get the majority of the backfield work um, but I don't know if that's the case. Like he will probably lead the backfield, but he might not get 50, like over 50% of the work. Um, you know, Edward Zelayer missed a game earlier in the season and it seemed like the perfect opportunity for Le'Veon Bell to have a, a great game and then also kind of establish a bigger share of the workload within the committee moving forward. And he just didn't do it. Uh, he ended up splitting way too much of the work with Daryl Williams, um, and something like that might happen again. Uh, you know, uh, Derwin, what's his name? <laughs> there's Daryl Williams, there's Derwin um, what's his name? Darwin Thompson. Darwin Thompson. Darwin Thompson. Dar- Darwin Thompson. Yeah, Sorry, I was thinking, thinking Darwin the James. only Derwin yeah. I could
3: come up with was yeah. Derwin James. I'm like, that, that doesn't yeah, yeah, sound right. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah uh, Darwin Thompson might end up getting some of the work. It's just, you know, like, I don't think you can start Bell with any confidence, which is annoying. Now, if you're, like, in a head-to-head best ball situation or something like that, uh, then it's great, you know. But otherwise, um, I don't think if you're going into Week 16, like a championship on the line, you are actually going to feel as if you can put Le'Veon Bell in a starting spot with any certainty. Now, maybe your your backfield is just so decimated that you have to. And if that's the case, then, you know, fine, uh, go with God. But otherwise, I think you're probably leaving him on the bench.
3: Yeah, uh, I was kind of in that headspace as well. And a lot of it just goes back to what we've seen from Kansas City this last couple of seasons where, honestly, it's not like they need to force things in the running game, even if they're ahead, which they likely will be playing uh, Atlanta. I still don't think that they just need to, as part of their game plan, hand it off to Bell all the time. So I don't think it's going to be a situation where we're going to see him getting 25 opportunities. And very honestly, if you look at the track record of what he's done this season, even if he got the 25, it's not clear that if you're a team that's in the finals, he's going to be a better option than the guys that you probably have anyway, barring some significant weird things going on in your roster. Uh, Traquan Smith suffers an ankle injury, which is worth discussing now because even though it's not clear that he's going to be out Matt with Michael Thomas headed to – or not looking like he's going to be – is Thomas actually on the IR for the rest of the season? Yeah, he's on the IR. Right, right. He's on the IR. He's
1: out for the rest of the season. Right, he's out for
3: the rest of the season, yeah. So you are expecting that other people might have to step up for New Orleans. Little Jordan Humphrey, one of my favorite names to say, came in, um, scored a touchdown for New Orleans – I have to imagine that teams in the finals aren't scraping the bottom of the barrel enough that they're going to be looking after little, or looking at guys like little Jordan Humphrey. Does this perhaps boost up uh, Emmanuel
1: Sanders though enough where he might start getting consideration? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, I mean, I would still think of Sanders as a you know wide receiver three flex type of option. But he certainly has upside. You know, I would say um, a twenty percent target share feels reasonable with the upside for more. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's pretty it's pretty bare there because it's Sanders and then Lil Jordan Humphrey and Jawan Johnson. You know, if anything, you would imagine that this means many more opportunities for Alvin Kamara especially as a receiver um so I think that's probably where I would really be looking to uh to invest um but uh yeah Emmanuel Sanders and maybe even Jared Cook although I just I absolutely hate going there um I I feel like his target volume is always thin even when he should have extra targets coming his way so um yeah I think Sanders uh is the wide receiver who's going to, to benefit the most from this. But also, like Kamara, uh, I imagine when I do my projections for Week 16, he will probably be in the top three, like if if not top two. Definitely. James Robinson got
3: banged up towards the end of Sunday's game. Unclear at this point if Robinson is going to miss time. If he does, I don't think that you're looking for any other player that's gonna fill in potentially for him in Jacksonville. So I'm not sure that there's really much more to talk about there, but I will leave the window open to you if you do have thoughts.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's really impossible to know. Um like is it Divine Ozigbo? Is it Dari Ugamwale? Like we just we really do not know who the the number two guy is behind James Robinson. And so um you can't really you know, start either one of those guys picking either one of them up. I don't really think there's much value there. So, you know, you probably just hope that James Robinson is actually healthy enough to play. Definitely. Uh, Nick Mellons suffered an elbow injury, actually lost
3: sensation in his arm in the 49ers game against the Cowboys. If he can't go, the backup would be CJ Bethard, who actually did pretty well in the time that he logged in that game. My kind of feeling is, as far as the receivers and the offensive players go for San Francisco, I don't think this really uh, drastically changes the outlook you might have for them. In fact, it's probably a very similar projection, regardless of if it's Beathard or Mellons. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think Beathard isn't quite as good of a passer. He's a little a little bit better running the ball than Mullins. So in terms of Bethard, it's probably about the same uh, with the fantasy production, but probably not quite as good for some of the pass catchers. Um, but, I mean, I don't think there's, you know, like Bethard on his own, like maybe in deep two QB leagues, if you're desperate, you would end up going with Bethard as like your second guy. But I, I think he's probably a non-entity. Fair enough.
3: Quick reminder that uh if you are looking forward to next season, you can still get in on that ten percent off Rotoviz discount uh through the podcast. Head to the Rotoviz podcast homepage, uh Rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. There's information on how you can take advantage of that ten percent discount. Jalen Hurts, Matt, 24 of 44 for 338 yards and three touchdowns, 63 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. Some awesome plays, uh, a play in this game against the Cardinals where he's rolling out, loses control of football, picks up very quickly, picks it back up, fires downfield, completes a really nice pass. A lot of people really impressed with Jalen Hurts. Uh, Greg Ward, and uh, Watkins with touchdowns, Dallas Goddard, Jalen Rager, eight targets, Zach Ertz back in action, just two of seven for 69 yards, not Miles Sanders, greatest game. So, breakdown for me, your thoughts on Jalen Hurts, and then your thoughts on, I guess really, if we even need to discuss any of these players on the Eagles for people that might be playing in, in their championship games. I, I guess the, the player that probably makes the most sense to talk about is Miles Sanders.
1: Yeah. Um, I think Sanders is still going to get enough volume, uh, where, uh, you, if you have him, you're starting him and that offense, uh, with Hertz is now looking much better than it did at any point this year with Wentz. And so there should be more touchdown opportunities, uh, as a runner, um, for Miles Sanders, so, yeah, I mean, if you have him, you're probably starting him. For the pass catchers, um, we probably wouldn't be all that interested in these guys anyway, and even though the offense is better, it's still hard to know, like, which one of these guys Hurts might throw the ball to. So, I mean, if you have Ertz, if you have Goddard, you probably have to play them, um, but I'm imagining for the wide receivers that you – probably have better options. Like I'm imagining you have to have better options. Uh Hertz, though, I mean, if you have him, you're you're starting him over everybody except like I don't know, maybe Patrick Mahomes. But um maybe maybe not even then. Oh, maybe my even gosh. then you're you're starting Jalen Hurts. I, I like I know that's ridiculous, but I mean I did say like last week on uh, the Action Network podcast, like, early in the week that I had Hurts projected as my number two running back. uh, Sorry, number two uh, quarterback. And, I mean, I I don't think I backed off of that. Like, maybe when I was updating projections, he slipped to number three. But he was still really high up there. And I I don't think that's a ridiculous position to have. Like, if you look at, you know, end of season, rookie year, 2018, Lamar Jackson. When he started, he was, you know, a, like, the... Uh, fantasy quarterback three, if you look at the same, same here, the same type of situation, Josh Allen at the end of the season in his six final games as a starter, I think he was the number one overall fantasy quarterback in that span. Uh, you look at Taysom Hill and what he did in his four games as a starter, he was a top three, top five fantasy quarterback. Like these guys, even if they aren't polished as passers, they do more than enough as runners to make up for their shortcomings. And that's, I think, exactly what Hurts is. Uh, He might have some peak games as a passer. We definitely saw that this past week. I wouldn't expect him to have that type of production as a passer moving forward. But he certainly has a floor as a runner. I mean, I think 50, 50 yards as a runner is pretty much locked in every week with the possibility for more and the possibility for a rushing touchdown. When you have that, I mean, I think he does belong um as a a top 5 at a minimum fantasy quarterback probably top 3 and honestly like maybe number 1 overall because he does have a really high floor and his rushing ability gives him a really high ceiling too I'm not going to disagree with that um you know he's playing the Cowboys I mean, this week right you know? like I mean any any quarterback who's good going against the Cowboys would probably be in consideration for a top 3 spot and, like, Hurts, with his rushing floor, I think it's better than just a good fantasy quarterback. Yeah.
3: I, I mean, I, I definitely buy into the fact that with the rushing ability, there is certainly a built-in floor. And, you know, as far as passing goes, maybe he's not going to be passing, you know, for 330 yards against Dallas. But I, I still think it's possible, you know, he does enough to, to produce through the air that it gets him into that top-tier range. So I'm on board with that, Matt. Um, Jonathan Taylor, we get to talk about him again, 83 yards and a rushing touchdown. He's now the RB 15, very notably as well has caught 35 of 38 wrecks. I know we've talked a lot about Taylor, but I I went back today, Matt, and I was looking through my preseason projections and my projections slotted Taylor in as the RB 19. Now, some of that might have had to do with the fact that I was expecting there to be a bit of a stretch where he was trying to overtake Marlon Mack in Indianapolis's backfield. So, that does factor into why there was a level of disappointment with Taylor, but I think he's getting pretty close now to approximating what people were expecting. Uh, so it just does it does feel like each week we're getting closer to the expectations we've talked a lot about Taylor though so unless there's anything you want to add we can move on
1: no I mean he's just so much better as a receiver than people expected him to be and maybe a little bit of that is luck and you know we'll see regression next year but he's still very good and I mean it's I think it's just hilarious that you know he's pacing for like 13 1400 yards and you know 10 touchdowns and people are still going to be talking about how this year was really disappointing for him
3: yeah I I think that the the notion that this year was really disappointing at this point needs to needs to be thrown out out the window. So felt like we were wrong on him to start the season but now, you know, we can admit that we were wrong again in writing him off um which I I'm willing to say that I kind of did. So Tony Pollard 69 rush uh 69 rushing yards, added two touchdowns on the ground, 6 of 9 targets for 63 yards. Pretty good uh, performance for Pollard here, filling in for Zeke. Really raises some questions about how much of the Cowboys really do need Zeke, you know, with the big contract that they gave him, um, how that looks. Uh, but I, I want to focus a little bit more just on your thoughts on Pollard and what his fantasy prospects could li- look like moving forward.
1: Um, we do not need Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas, you know, (laughs) like I think that's sort of like the bottom line, like his contract was ridiculous to begin with and going even before that. I mean, they never should have drafted him with a top five pick, but you know, whatever it's, it's the type of situation where, because Zeke was paid so much, I think Pollard, will still be like a clear backup maybe he will start to carve out a little bit more of a role but I don't think it will be enough to be consistently fantasy viable I think he will have some peak performances that you can't really anticipate and so for season long it means it's pretty much useless but uh you know as a a player with latent potential as a handcuff uh, I think he will be like the most coveted handcuff uh, in 2021 because of his natural ability, uh, the offense that he will be in, assuming, uh, of course, Dak Prescott is the quarterback in um, just the the offensive system. So I'm, I'm really enthusiastic about Tony Pollard as a player and his overall ability, uh, you know, disappointed that we're probably not going to get to see Pollard really uh unleashed uh in in a situation with Zeke got it now I'm curious about your thoughts about just the
3: Dallas backfield in general now I mean I I have to assume that you do think that Ezekiel Elliott the last couple of seasons has been a very talented back and it sounds like you do believe that Pollard maybe is a is a better than average back um
1: Looking, no, I think I think Tony Pollard is better than Ezekiel Elliott.
3: You actually do. So you think, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So is, is I that mean, more? Is, is that more of just where you think Elliott is now at this point in his career, or is that more that you're really impressed yes. with Pollard? Because I think people need some context there.
1: It, it has more to do with Ezekiel Elliott at this point in his career. You know, Pollard is still 23. He still has fresh legs. He uh, is a better receiver than uh, Zeke ever was. Uh, and you know receiving is such an important part of being a running back. I know that sort of sounds ca- counterintuitive. And like the most important thing should be how a guy runs, but that's not really quite as important as being able to catch the ball out of the backfield. And Pollard, I mean, as we saw uh, this, this past week, uh, he does that very well and it's, you know just because of his well-rounded skill set uh, and the fact that he played in a hybrid role in college. Uh, And so good enough as a runner uh, certainly has the athleticism uh, to match Zeke. Um, And it's not as if like yards per carry is really super indicative, but um, you know, five, five yards per attempt for his career. Tony Pollard has, you know, he did that in his first two years. And, you know, that's kind of on par with what Zeke did in his first two years in the league when he was young, but you know, Zeke is going to be 26 next year. And, It's not as if, like, that's a death sentence for the running back position. But, I mean, that is starting to get at the point where it's like, ooh, you know what? This guy's probably going to slow down. Like, look at Todd Gurley. You might just kind of assume that Gurley is, like, 29 or something like that based on the way that he plays. Gurley's 26, you know? And, like, I don't expect Zeke to have a Gurley-esque type of fall next season. But it's gonna, it's gonna come, it's gonna happen at some point, and it's going to be probably sooner than people anticipate. And you know, I would just rather have Pollard as the guy running, uh, you know, and, and catching balls out in the backfield at this point. I um,
3: am very glad that I was able to unload Elliott from one of my dynasty teams at the start of the season because the point you made about Todd Gurley only being 26 is just so telling. And I think it's easy with a lot of running backs to keep thinking you're going to get one more year, get one more year. But, you know, when that change comes, Matt, it can be very drastic. So I am very skeptical about how much uh, is left in the Ezekiel Elliott tank. The Atlanta Falcons got up early on the Buccaneers. Eventually, the Buccaneers came back. Um, Pretty good day, though, for some of the offensive players in Atlanta. We saw... Um, Hayden Hurst and Russell Gage score touchdowns. Calvin Ridley punched in his ninth touchdown of the year. He's the wide receiver three in PPR, ranks one in air yards, fifth in receiving yards, sixth in Whopper, has 1,192 receiving yards at this point. How impressed with Calvin Ridley should we all be, Matt?
1: He's awesome. You know, I mean, especially in games in which uh, he's really the number one target or being targeted as if he's a number one receiver. Even if Julio is out there, uh, if he just gets funneled a ton of targets, he's really done a great job of turning those targets into production. Um, so I, I like entering this game in the 16 career games in which he had at least eight targets. And that might feel kind of cherry picked, but whatever, just kind of go along with it um, in those games. He's had, I think, like 1,600 yards and, like, 15 touchdowns. It was just ridiculous. And with Julio out, you could pretty much just, like, lock it in that Ridley was going to get a high number of targets. And sure enough, he got his targets and he, he dominated. Like, this is just what Ridley does. He's, uh, I don't know, like, he feels rather Antonio Brown-esque when Brown was at his peak. Um, I, I think they're probably not throwing the ball to him enough At this point, to be honest, you know, like uh, any targets going to Russell Gage or to Brandon Powell, anyone else, they just need to throw everything to Calvin (laughs) Ridley all the time. Well, what I really
3: like about what we've seen this year is if you remember, there was this big conversation heading into the season about whether or not Ridley could be the 2020 version of Chris Godwin, which is basically a player that just really asserts himself and takes fantasy leagues by storm. And a lot of people um, were for Ridley, but there was definitely questions, you know, perhaps maybe legitimate about with the way in which Ridley would accrue his points, if that was going to be enough to ascend him to being a Chris Godwin like story. And I just like that, uh, you know, he's been able to achieve that and that kind of drives home the idea that players can produce their points in a different way. And really what matters is the end result that you're getting to. And in the case of Ridley, I don't think either of us had really bought that the way that he plays and his style was going to prevent him from doing it. So, you know, it's always good. I, I, I enjoy when, when players reach what feels like, you know, their top end is. And I, I think that he's, he's definitely gotten there. Um, so I'll ask one more question though. I just said, it feels like he got to his top end. Do you actually think it's possible that the ceiling for Ridley is even higher?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I do because he's played, uh, almost all of his games this year with Julio Jones, you know, like he's still been, if not like a clear number two, not as much of a number one as he would be if Julio weren't there. Uh, And so as Julio starts to slow down and becomes basically like the Roddy white function. um, Yeah. I think we will see Ridley get even more targets. And so I actually do think Ridley could have a bigger season next year than he's had this year. That's nuts. Um, All right. Moving along. JD
3: McKissick scores nearly 26 points. Get this. He's been an RB one in four of his last seven games. Um, This is his fifth year of his career, right? So this is kind of a rare case where you see a player in their fifth season step onto the fantasy stage in the way that he did. Um, He is not a, in 2022, he's an unrestricted free agent. So he will be in Washington next year. Antonio Gibson will be back. There's other players in the offense. What are the chances that he remains relevant next year in the way that he has been this year?
1: Mm, like 30%. I mean, like, I think he could be relevant, but not in the same way that he has been this year, like relevant as in like, a guy who is the number two back and does get some uh, receiving production. And, you know, in the event of an injury does come in and, you know, gets some more rushing production, but not as relevant in that, like, I don't think you can rely on him as much because I do think Antonio Gibson will take more of the overall workload next year. So, like, McKissick will be there. Like, he will be someone you have to account for, but um, I don't think he will be as dependable. And, I mean, it's not as if he's really even been all that dependable this year. Uh, Even though he has had production, it's not like the type of production that you would actually want to rely on. Right. And it
3: feels like he's getting 10, 12 targets a game, which there certainly have been a couple of performances where he saw 14, 15, even 10 targets. But those have not been the norm. There still have been performances in there with four targets, two targets, even, you know, six targets. So I bring this up because I can see heading into drafts next year, this thought being there, maybe even You know, when you're around like seven, eight of like, all right, I can get some production from McKissick. I can get those targets, but I'm I'm on board with you that, yes, he will be relevant next year, but I just think it's a slim percentage of the time that you see him functioning next year the way that he did this year. Um... That, no, uh, yep. would,
1: let's. This is a little bit. I think of kind of like a kind of getting to a zero RB type of conversation. Like yep. McKissick is the exact type of running back I would never want to have on my team.
3: That's kind like, of where um, I was going.
1: Yeah, yeah. So unless go, unless ahead, like, go ahead. Go le- ahead. Yeah, unless it's later in the season, and you, then you're just desperate and you get him off of waivers, then like something like that. Like, but I would never want to spend like an actual pick, like a pick I cared about that I wanted to get production out of on someone like McKissick. I would like at that point, I would much rather swing for the fences than like draft a rookie running back or, or draft, you know, like a number four, wide receiver, or, like, the guy who will be the number four wide receiver on my team, but he has upside, and maybe he ends up being sort of, like, a wide receiver two in fantasy for this season. Like, that's the type of player I would want to draft in, like, rounds seven, eight, nine.
3: For sure. Like, to me, McKissick is not the type of guy that you should be targeting uh, for all of the reasons that that you just said, and because I feel like it is very likely for a player like this this is going to be his best season that he will ever have um so your odds of approximating that next year if he goes in drafts where i'm thinking that he will because of the the memory that people will have i just don't think it's going to add up for him so we're going to step away here for a second to hear from a couple of our sponsors and then we will be right back 2020 has already reshaped how we work And it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical and Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free seventy-five dollar credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free seventy-five dollar credit at indeed.com slash Bluewire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through December thirty-one. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. So let's talk quickly here about the Miami Dolphins' backfield. We talked about it a couple of times this season, Matt, uh, but it's been a str- It's it's been a while now. So we have seen Miles Gaskin start off very well. We've seen Salvin Ahmed fill in for him. He had a 21 point game against New England. What do you do next year with this Dolphins backfield? And in Week 16, what should fantasy managers do with this backfield if Gaskin does return?
1: Uh, I have no idea what next year is going to look like. I really don't have much of a sense of what next week is going to look like. Although I think Gaskin will probably be the lead back, um, just kind of based on the usage that he had before his injury and then before the uh, is it COVID? Yeah, before the COVID situation. Yeah. So I I think he will come back and still be the lead back. But based on how Ahmed has played, I I do think it will be something of a committee, but skewed toward Gaskin. Which it's so crazy that these guys
3: shared the field in college. And now we see them on this NFL team where I think both are doing better than people would have expected. They're performing really well. And it's interesting too, because we have seen Matt Breida and other backs in this offense. So it's not a situation where just purely as a function of playing in it, they're able to produce. That's not to say that they're necessarily top tier talents, but they've been impressive Uh, in a dynasty context do you think that either of these players are guys that managers should be trying to make trades to acquire? Or do you think it's a better situation if you are a manager who has rostered one of these guys and then you try to make a move to send them away and acquire some other asset that you need?
1: I would probably be looking to sell um, just because it, feels like a Patriots running back type of situation. Um, And, you know, part of that is because this coaching staff does kind of have roots um, in New England. And part of it is that, you know, just like the pedigree of these guys, like they're all undrafted. You know, they're all kind of coming in and having performances. But like, I wouldn't look at any of these guys and say, like, he is a clear Um, starting talent and someone who has like a stranglehold on this job. So if you can turn someone who you probably got on waivers, if you can turn that into an actual asset, uh, I would certainly do that.
3: And, you know, like we talk about oftentimes with players, it's very likely, especially in the case of Ahmed. That you are holding on to him right now at the point in which he will have the highest value that he ever will in his career. Like, I, I think that is actually possible. Um, so I would not be opposed to anybody going out and trying to, trying to see what they can get for him. DJ Moore put up his fourth wide receiver one game of the season. I think a lot of people will still look at this. As a disappointment for more, even though he's probably going to finish somewhere in that wide receiver 20 to 24 range, um, in terms of points per game, a lot of people hoping that he would have finished as a wide receiver one. How close do you think he came to his ceiling this season in the context of a Carolina team where there's going to be Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, and they didn't even have McCaffrey, who could have taken away some of his production. How close did he come to showing us just how good he can be?
1: Uh, I don't think he, like, actually, mm-hmm, I don't know. I don't think he's near his ceiling. Okay. Um, I, He could have scored more touchdowns. He could have gotten more targets. Uh, You know, last year he was a target monster. This year he has 97 targets in 13 games. You know, he's uh, he's been out-targeted, I believe, by Robbie Anderson. If not out-targeted, it's been really close. And then, of course, you also have Curtis Samuel there. Um, and despite that, he still has more yards per game than he had last year. Uh, and 10.9 yards per target compared to the 8.7 yards per target he had last year and 9.6 the year before that, as a 21-year-old rookie. If you adjust for age, what he's done this year, uh, given that it's his third year and he's still just 23 years old, like it's pretty good, especially following the year that he had last year. And, and to to put this in some perspective, we talked earlier about Calvin Ridley. Like, what is the difference between Calvin Ridley and DJ Moore? Well, you know, one difference is that DJ Moore is 23. That is still not as old as uh, Calvin, Ridley Calvin Ridley. Ridley was, was at Alabama,
3: his, practically, right? His,
1: yeah, his first year in the league at 24 as a rookie. So, like, DJ Moore has had three NFL seasons to get to the point next year of where Ridley was as a rookie. Uh, and, you know, Ridley has almost 1,200 yards receiving this year, has 91.7 yards per game. Um, You know, that's good, but that's not, like, so many more yards than we've seen out of D.J. Moore at 81.2 per game, especially considering the number of targets. You know, like Ridley in 13 games has 122 targets compared only to D.J. Moore who has 97 targets. Like what happens if in the future, you know, D.J. Moore gets just one more target per game, you know? What happens if he has a little bit more touchdown luck and instead of scoring four touchdowns, scores like eight or nine? You know, like, all of a sudden, he's basically right there with Calvin Ridley and maybe, like, a little bit ahead of Calvin Ridley, especially when you consider that he's three years younger and has just as much experience. So I'm really, even though it hasn't been, like, the best season for DJ Moore, I'm still really encouraged by what we've seen out of him. Uh, For a guy to be able to compete with two other pretty decent wide receivers – on a team that isn't that good, uh, with a quarterback who like no, there's nothing wrong with Teddy Bridgewater, but like for a quarterback who's not like elite, for him to be able to have over a thousand yards receiving, and by the time the season is over, maybe closer to twelve hundred yards receiving, uh, that's really good. I still
3: believe, and you do too, that DJ Moore is a wide receiver one. He's the type of guy that should be finishing, and will be finishing as a wide receiver one. We saw Robbie Anderson get about one more target per game. Encouraging sign for Moore. He still averaged more air yards uh, per game. And his air yards per target were at 12.3 to Robbie Anderson's 9.5. Their yak was pretty close. So this was a down season for DJ Moore. And it was still a pretty good season. So that to me remains an encouraging sign. I'm with you. I think that his ceiling is a lot higher than what we saw this season and I just think that he's a really really talented wide receiver and a lot of that goes back to like you said with his age you know it's hard to deny what he's achieved already in his NFL career there's a there's a lot of future left so feeling good about DJ Moore let's check in on the Cowboys wide receivers Matt Dak Prescott has missed you know The overwhelming majority of the season, the Cowboys were really crushing it offensively before he got injured. It looked like we had this triumvirate of wide receivers that were going to crush things in fantasy. I want to know, now that you've seen almost a full season from CeeDee Lamb playing alongside Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper, who you think the best wide receiver is, and at this point, which wide receiver puts together the best two season stretch. So who's going to look the best from a fantasy perspective in 21 and 22. And then again, which one of these guys is the best wide receiver.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I still think Amari is probably the best wide receiver um, because he's still relatively young, only 26. Uh, You know, by the time the season is over in negative circumstances, he's still going to have his fifth 1000 yard season. Um, Lamb, might outproduce him in the two seasons after this combined. Um, but I, I still think right now, Amari is probably better. And Gallup, I, I don't think he's actually all that distant of a third. And like last year, he actually had more targets on a per game basis than Amari did, he had more yards than uh Amari did on a, a per game basis. Like he was actually right there with Amari. And in the post DAC era, you know, like the eight, nine games at this point, uh outside of DAC, like he's actually been Uh, given more opportunities than Amari and Lamb. And maybe some of that is just because of coverage or whatever. And he hasn't done a good job at all of turning those opportunities into production. Uh, We saw a little bit more out of him this past week. But I still think that he's pretty good too. So if I had to pick one receiver, I would go with, uh, with Lamb for the upcoming two years. But right now I, I do like Amari and I, I just also think that Gallup is very undervalued and he's probably going to leave via the free agent market um, after the twenty twenty one season and you know, maybe at some point he actually gets the opportunity to uh to ascend as a like a true number one option within his offense. Like I would like to see him get that opportunity.
3: So that's a pretty glowing report for this wide receiver group. Do you think that they are the best trio of wide receivers in the league or maybe they challenged by the trio of Claypool, Johnson and Smith Schuster or perhaps you know another another set of three wide receivers?
1: I would need to think about it a little bit more but I would like I would still say yes. Like this feels like probably the best set of wide receivers. Um although uh the the old school Rotovision in me would just automatically want to say that uh, now that Josh Gordon uh is no longer suspended that uh, <laughs> that Josh Gordon uh, next to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett that those three guys are clearly the, the top wide receiver trio. But um yeah, I would say I do think Amari, um, I do think Amari Gallup, and Lamb are probably the best receiver trio in the league. I mean, I guess the other one you would throw in there would be Antonio Brown, Chris
3: Godwin, and Mike Evans.
1: Yeah, I mean, that one is very good, but I don't really count Antonio Brown in that. Right, in, in right. Because he hasn't done all that well, and he's nearing the end of his career. He feels a little bit like a gun for hire. Like, who knows if he's even there next year. Right. Absolutely. All right. The Rams lost to the Jets. Did you see this coming, Matt? What happened here? I have no idea what happened. Uh, I mean, maybe like this is just sort of narrative, but, you know, maybe it's the type of situation where uh, the Rams are just looking ahead to the game that's coming the following week. And not really paying much attention to the game that they have right in front of them, thinking you know they can have something of a vanilla game plan. You know they had just beaten the Patriots, they have the Seahawks in Week 16, thinking like, okay, we can basically just do whatever it is that we want to do in Week 15, and prepare a little bit more for the the actual important games we have coming up uh, against the Seahawks and the Cardinals in the final two weeks of the season maybe that's what happened, but that's just, that's just narrative. You know, like I don't know if that's actually what happened. Um, yeah. And you know, maybe part of it is just, you do have like, I mean, who knows? Like these guys are, you know, they're professionals, uh, you know, presumably they're always motivated, but you know, like you have grown men uh, in a professional organization who have basically been abject failures very publicly for over a year. Uh, you know, maybe at this point they just somehow got sick of it and finally uh, decided to win a game somehow. You know, like, I, it, it, I don't know. It's just, you never know. It's just randomness,
3: essentially. Well, all I know is that every once in a while I will make some cash lineups and play them. Um, I, I'm still thinking about maybe, maybe next year will be the season where I flip from just going completely DFS, you know, from, from not really playing much at all. But I put together some lineups, and I really thought that my Cam Akers, Robert Woods, Jared Goff stack was going to work out, and it did, It failed miserably, Matt.
1: Uh, it, yeah, and by the way, uh, Akers has uh, an ankle injury, uh, and so it looks like he's going to be out in week 16, which uh, is not good for my shirtless podcasting bets. Oh, wait, did you ever figure out what the bet actually is? No, I I charge you with uh, with listening to what the terms of that oh, actually gosh. are. My sense is that we actually never put uh like concrete parameters on what we were talking right. about.
3: I think we were just but, so blindsided you know, when the concept of a shirtless podcast came up that
1: uh Yeah. I mean, be that as it may, I imagine that Uh, It might not really be close enough anyway by the end of the season for us to think like, okay well, if it's within this context, then acres wins or it's a tie like it will probably be swift pretty clearly, no matter what perspective we have. All right. Well,
3: my my promise to everybody is that I will go back and I will figure out what it is and we will be able to determine next week how badly you lost, because unfortunately, I think you are going to have to take the L there. Um yeah. give me a quick MVP race update.
1: Uh you know, Derrick Henry continue, <laughs> Yeah, continues to intrigue me a little bit. Um I mean, obviously it's you know Patrick Mahomes' world and we're all kind of living in it and Rogers looked like a kind of intriguing option, uh, but then, you know, massively underperformed last week at home. Uh, and that's kind of the spot where you would expect to see him really compile some stats. So he no longer uh, is as intriguing. And so honestly, like, I really kind of think it's a little bit of a, like, it's a Mahomes situation. And if it's not Mahomes, I do think it's kind of somehow Derrick Henry with Derrick Henry just totally going off and like breaking the rushing record, you know, with like two monster games to close out the season. Like I I could kind of see that if if Mahomes has two games that are subpar to close the year. Like I could see how that happens. But it really it's just probably Mahomes, you know. Like that's that's the bottom line. It's it's going to be Mahomes.
3: Yeah, it's gonna be Mahomes. Uh in relation to Henry though. I wish that if we're getting running backs in this mix, we we could also get Dalvin cook into the picture
1: because yeah, I mean, I see that, but not really. <laughs> Cause, <laughs> cause this sucks. You know, like it's, yeah. it's a team award that's given to a player.
3: Yeah, I know. I, I've talked before about how I, I really wish that we could rename the, re- rename the award or just do a better way of conveying what it actually is. Um, but whatever, everybody knows what the MVP is at this point. Um, let's talk though about the fantasy MVP very quickly here. There's still one week, so we'll wait till we make any decisions, but is there even a question as to who the f- fantasy MVP is? And I asked that because I think it would be very easy to say that it's James Robinson. However, if you look at the best ball win rate explorer for 2020, you'll see that the top three players are... James Robinson, Justin Jefferson and Travis Kelsey with Travis Kelsey actually being the player that is on the highest percentage of winning teams. But do you think there is a question are people going to crown Robinson the, the fantasy MVP for 2020 and there's not really much of a conversation?
1: Uh, I I think there's something of a conversation, but I mean the way this normally works is sort of like who's a guy who's, you know, like in the top five at his position who is drafted the latest or who was picked up off of waivers. And then that's sort of your fantasy MVP. So I I think it's probably Robinson. Although like I got to say Justin Jefferson, like he's, he's having himself a season for the ages, like since week three, which was when, the team moved him from the slot to the perimeter. So, like, I feel like that's a a fair kind of demarcation point uh, to kind of start with. Since week three, he leads all wide receivers in the NFL in receiving yards. Like, all of them. He's number one. Um, And I I don't think that's a fluke. Like, he is clearly the number one receiver on his team. Uh, I mean, apologies to Adam Thielen, who, you know, has – has had sort of like a latter day Antonio Brown uh, masking over of his production. Like he's not being targeted nearly as much as you would anticipate, but his total numbers still look good because he's getting touchdowns. But I mean, he is like just being out hustled all over the field, like out targeted and targeted further down the field uh, by the rookie Jefferson who, I mean, it's just, I mean, I'm not going to say like Randy Moss, but like he is, putting up like Moss-esque type of numbers as a rookie, which like no one would have anticipated even like the most, pessimist sorry, the most optimistic of Jefferson backers. And I I would consider myself someone who is very optimistic on Jefferson entering the year. I was thinking that like he was probably like something approaching a one for one replacement to Stefan Diggs. But like this has gone so far beyond that considering that Jefferson <laughs> I'm sorry. Considering that Jefferson is a twenty one year old rookie. Uh like this is incredible. So I, I would I'd be sort of inclined to give it a little bit more to Jefferson than to Robinson, but like what Robinson has done as an undrafted rookie on one of the worst teams in the league, at this point maybe we could say the worst team in the league, that is also pretty impressive.
3: Yeah, well, the interesting thing is people... Obviously, have well I shouldn't say obviously, but in-, in most cases, people are more willing to draft rookie running backs than they are rookie wide receivers. Now, Jefferson's case was a little bit different because you looked at the depth chart, and there weren't many options that the team had to utilize in the receiving game uh, besides Thielen. So that might have opened up people to taking Jefferson. But I really think the reality is, even if you thought that Jefferson was an all-time type of prospect, he'd probably still beaten the expectations that you would have had for him heading into the season looking forward for him right now at rotoviz we have him ranked in our composite dynasty rankings as the wide receiver two behind dk metcalf um he's ahead of devonta adams ahead of aj brown ahead of tyreek hill calvin ridley cd lamb michael thomas i mean it's just been an absolutely superb season and really i don't think you can make a good argument against people having him in the top three top two of dynasty rankings you know you you can maybe say that's not where you would have them but i think that people can come up with perfectly plausible um explanations for how they have him that high so he's just absolutely crushing it
1: Better yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I don't I don't think there's anything fluky about what he's done this year, which is what makes it justifiable. You know, like he had the college production, he has the first round draft capital invested in him. Um he has the athletic profile, which isn't quite as important at the wide receiver position, but it's still something you like to see. Like he has everything and then he has the rookie production on top of it with the fact that he's twenty one years old. Uh it's entirely justified for him to be a a top five uh, Dynasty asset moving forward, if not higher. Got it.
3: Better player to roster in Dynasty, Travis Fulgham, who kind of flashed for a very short stretch of the season, or Kiki Kuti, who we've seen flash prior seasons he's getting back into the fold in Houston thanks to circumstances that arose and has been playing well he's in Houston for one more year better player to roster in Dynasty Fulgham or Kuti
1: uh, I think Kiki
3: yep okay do you care to expand on that or is it really just come back to the fact that he's uh, produced I mean, more overall in his career than Fulgham
1: yeah he's produced more overall and like Fulgham has just been um like, sequestered within that offense. Like, they're just not giving him anything. Like, he's hardly running routes at this point, Uh, whereas, like, Kiki is actually, like, on the field and looks like uh, a, a fairly important part of their passing offense. Yep. All right, Matt,
3: here's a question that I have been looking forward to asking you since I thought of it. And really I've been looking forward to asking you about one of these players on here for some time. It's going to seem more obvious now coming off of his five touchdown SEC championship game, but (laughs) he's a big bodied SEC Alabama (laughs) back. So if I told you right now that you, one of your dynasty teams could be gifted one of these three running backs, I want to know if you're adding Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So you could be gifted Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Najee Harris, or Travis Etienne. Who are you at? Well, more importantly, is CEH the guy that you're adding? Right? And this is an Mm -hmm. interesting question to me because you don't know the offenses that Harris or Etienne are going to go, and you still have CEH who, you know, you're probably not going to have... The greatest outlook on, given what we saw in his rookie season, but he's still in this high-powered Kansas City offense. Some of the element of the unknown is not going to be present
1: with him. What are you doing? You know, I would still go with Edwards Alaire. Okay. Um, although I would I would need to think about Etienne a little bit more. Uh, Najee Harris, I, I do like him. Uh, he's just like he's my type, um, but he's already 22. He's going to be 23 years old as a rookie. Like, Edwards Alaire has had one year of NFL experience, and he's still younger than Harris, and he's in the best offense. Um, you know, and I think we would expect improvement out of him in his second year. So I would probably still go with Edwards Alaire. Um, I would need to think a little bit more about Etienne. I, I do have a lot of respect for Etienne. I think he's uh the same age as Edward Lair, like roughly speaking. He is a good receiving back, but like Edward Lair is supposed to be a good receiving back too. Um, I I would probably still lean Edward Lair, although I I feel dirty saying that. Wow,
3: this is fascinating. Um, I'm actually not that surprised that you went that path. Um, because I I I. I Think with you the element of knowing that we have Edwards-Alaire in Kansas City is probably a big factor. What if I told you that – I'm trying to think of a backfield that would be enticing here for him to end up in. Um, I should have come with – okay, hypothetical here, right? Let's say that I told you ATN was going to land in Dallas.
1: You know, I knew you were going to say Dallas. <laughs> that's <laughs> I, I thought about Dallas. Yep. Um. No, I mean, because I'm just like, oh, that's a little bit weird. Um. No, probably still prefer Edwards Lair. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, yeah, audio- it was Seattle. 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 Ooh, yeah. yeah. Yep. You know. If it's like uh, Carson's final year, like or Carson's out, you know Hyde is gone. They give up on Richard Penny and they bring in Etienne or Harris. Then yeah, I'm I'm pretty interested. Okay, all right, Matt. Um, break down any wide, interesting
3: wide receiver cornerback matchups we should be paying attention to in Week 16.
1: Okay, I think the the best matchup, like the one that uh, I'm looking forward the most to watching because it's good player versus good player, is DK Metcalf against Jalen Ramsey. Uh, we've seen this matchup twice before, uh, once last year, once this year. Uh, in week 10, Ramsey really shut down. Uh, DK Metcalf and you know maybe some of that is just kind of the way that the game is going but we've seen Metcalf against Ramsey and then also Patrick Peterson like against the bigger cornerbacks who are physical and also have decent enough speed. We've seen him underperform against those guys pretty consistently. And so, you know, it's week 16. Metcalf has been fantastic this year. Uh, but I mean, you know, you can't you can't bench him if you have him. But at the same time, like, I don't think you start him and think like, okay, I'm getting like 100 yards and a touchdown. Like that, you have to adjust your expectations for DK Metcalf this week uh, because he does have a a tough matchup, and that's be a good one for football fans to see. Uh, One that is going to be, I think, uh, beneficial. Terry McLaurin going against uh, number one cornerback in Carolina, Dante Jackson. Uh, Not a tough matchup. I think it's actually a little bit of an upgrade of what you would normally expect for McLaurin when he's going against number one cornerback. Uh, But The Panthers have used Dante Jackson a little bit in shadow coverage this year, and I do think they will probably uh, have him tail McLaurin across the formation. Uh, But Jackson is, like, I think he's a below-average cover cornerback. So having McLaurin going against him all game, I think that's actually kind of a good thing. And then one, uh, one other really, I think, good matchup, just in terms of, like, watching from a football fan perspective, uh, Stephon Diggs going against J.C. Jackson. Uh, Diggs suffered a foot injury last week, but it's reportedly minor. It looks like he's going to play. Uh, Stephon Gilmore is out for the year uh, for the Patriots, suffered uh, an injury. So he's out, and I think that means J.C. Jackson is going to be shadowing Stephon Diggs. We saw him on Diggs in week eight anyway uh, when Gilmore was also out. And Diggs actually had a pretty good game. He had 92 yards receiving. But, um, I mean, Jackson is a stud. You know, for his career, he's only allowed five touchdowns, has 16 interceptions, eight interceptions this year for his career, allowed just 6.3 yards per target on a 51% catch rate. Um, This is a, a tough matchup for Diggs if he's injured, you know, so this will be something to watch. Uh, and then positive matchups, like great matchups. Uh, Allen Robinson going against the Jags, who are one of the worst uh, Pass defenses in the league. Uh, absolute great matchup for him going specifically against an undrafted journeyman, third stringer in Greg Maybin. like Allen Robinson should just dust him. Um, and then uh, people might not really be thinking of T. Higgins as someone they can trust, specifically if Ryan Finley is starting. But uh T. Higgins going against the Texans secondary, uh, you know, whether it's Vernon Hargraves the third, or whether it's Philip Gaines, or if Gaines is out, he might be going against uh, Keon Crossen, like all three of those guys can be highly exploited. So T. Higgins also has a matchup that uh might be intriguing and you know, if you are in a, a desperate type of situation, he could I think provide some upside as your wide receiver three or flex. Got it. All right, well, a lot to look forward to. I have
3: a closing thought for everybody here, which is I hope that and we hope that you have a great holiday season. You're going to be getting pretty heated in these finals, but it's around the holidays. Don't let it ruin things too much for you. Um, I have been talking a couple of my my friends off the ledge these last couple of weeks. It's just fantasy football. Uh, you'll live. It can get very frustrating. Remember, shoot me um, either at rotovizradio at com or at DaveKabenFF on Twitter. The thing that you will be leaving this season with the most regret about or the thing that's going to leave the most sour taste in your mouth. Also, let us know who you want to, us to have on to overview and break down what happened in 2020 with. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Indeed and Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history.